Hi, this is Eddie Deason. You're listening to Breaking the Fourth Wall. I was Mandark in Dexter's laboratory. Ha 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 ha. Uh, Realm of the Mist, Christopher Stoley. Did I Actually, say that right? Uh, kind of. <laughs> Don't worry, as long as you get it right on my paycheck. Now, um, the, uh, the Stoley's the last name, and Stolle. actually, Realm of the Mist is the uh, the production company. The podcast I'm on is Breaking the Fourth Wall. Breaking the Fourth Wall, right? Okay. <laughs> Just to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what is your podcast about? Uh, it just went through a rehash. Actually, we released our first uh, first episode under the new rehash yesterday. Um, and what it is, is it's always been an interview podcast where we'll sit down with celebrities or people from next door. Like the tagline for Breaking the Fourth Walls, everybody has a story. So, uh, you know, I, I've sat down and I've inter- interviewed like sixth grade teachers and I've interviewed uh, uh, Internet strippers and, you know. Uh, I've also interviewed, you know, celebrities like Jack O'Halloran from uh, Superman 2 or, or uh, Sean Kanan from like Karate Kid 3, uh, just as examples, not to name drop. But, uh, you know, so I've, I've, I've talked to everybody, but for the longest time, when I first started Breaking the Fourth Wall four years ago, it was a roundtable discussion about movies, mo- mostly us pretending we were, uh, uh, you know, critics. Yeah, pretending like we actually had the uh, the the know-how of Siskel and Ebert, if you will. And uh, what I always enjoyed is when we had our funnier moments. So uh, under the inspiration of things like uh, morning terrestrial radio shows like uh, O.P. and Anthony or Bob and Tom or, or Preston and Steve, I, with a couple other podcasters, decided to revamp Breaking the Fourth Wall to have a weekly show Uh in that vein and format, which is just segmented comedy f- with a featured uh, interview that week. So <laughs> nice, yeah. I, I have a a friend of mine uh, who's actually from uh, Canada as well, but now he lives in uh, the UK. And I'm gonna name drop his podcast on the show right now. His uh, his podcast is called Best Film Ever, and it's a fantastic yeah. podcast that's out there right now. And they do reviews of uh, great movies that have been out there now. Um, we're working on one for Sunday to showcase him on a live episode uh, for The Breakfast Club. He's done uh, multiple other episodes. He also has one called Talking the Mickey, where he uh, does reviews on Disney stuff, so Hamilton and Toy Story and uh, other movies like that. And it's a fantastic podcast. And uh, they kind of do the same kind of thing where they go back and they kind of review the movies, of, uh, whatever they're reviewing on that specific episode. Um, but it's it's actually very interesting. and It's a very good podcast. I'm actually disappointed when you said uh, uh, the Talking with Mickey you know, show, showing the fact that I'm from Philadelphia, the first thought to, of Mickey that came to my mind wasn't Mickey Mouse. It was not now, Rocky. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Wrong Mickey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, with your podcasting, how long have you been doing it? Four years. Four years? Four years. Uh, I yeah, started and- with Breaking the Fourth Wall when I when I when I came up with it. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I uh, me and a couple friends would have a phone conversation 
with my phone on speaker and I would have a digital recorder next to it. So that way it would capture them and me. And that's literally how I started. So I don't recommend anybody going back to seeing the first 20, 30 episodes of Breaking Forth. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know that, that we we ran into the same problem when we started. Like, I mean, we did our research and we did our uh, homework on it. Uh, we bought some equipment and then started off. But then you look into the editing of it and you're like, you know what? This this is really terrible compared to what we're releasing today and all the stuff that you learn along the way. So uh, yeah, that's uh, one of the problems that we had run into as well. It's funny when you say that, because uh, when you go back and you look at the stuff on YouTube, uh, because I was doing YouTube before I, I discovered audio podcasts, I was completely ass backwards on all of it. Um, I would record it on the digital recorder and all that. And then I, because I didn't have any video to go with it for the YouTube video, I would do a backsplash of the, the breaking the fourth wall logo and just have the audio play otherwise. But I used a free download app on my phone to create it. And it would take like eight hours on my phone to even create the video to have this video with a freaking watermark in the corner of it. You know, that wasn't my yeah. watermark. Yeah. It was so horrible. <laughs> yeah. Now now I've learned to just use Windows Media Player and put our logo in it and put the audio behind it and then throw it up onto YouTube. It takes about 10 minutes and uh <laughs> It, it's fine. I mean, I, I was doing the same thing where it was I was using a different uh, movie program and it was putting it up and I was like, how is this going to take me six hours just to make a video file to throw onto YouTube? This is ridiculous. So mm. you, you got to do your homework. You got to look at what's going on out there and then uh, play around with it and see what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, now now with the video stuff, I mean, the best the, the best options are Skype and Zoom because they can automatically grab it right off the bat. And then you just use your your video editor, whatever your choice. My personal choice is HitFilm, uh, HitFilm Express. I, I, it's just the one I feel the most comfortable using. I'm sure there's better ones out there, but you know that's the one I use. Um, but you know the audio, they're, they're, that's still a trick. I mean, the video stuff when I when I create the audio versions of it, uh, I just rip the audio out of the video and upload. You know, it's easy enough, but. You know, the, the biggest trick I can give to any podcaster from my own personal experience is if you have segment pieces or if you have intros and outros that you want to have in the show, pre-edit those. Create the one that you're going to use over and over and over again. So that way, when you record your actual main content, it's literally just copy and paste to put the rest of the shit in it. It makes it a whole lot faster. <laughs> oh, it does. Yeah, definitely. I have those just sitting on my desktop and then I just pop them into the editing program and it's good to go and you throw in the middle part, right? Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, we still make our rookie mistakes. I mean, we've been doing this for about four and a half months now, um, but we're doing really, really well. And we still make our rookie mistakes. I did a, a podcast interview with a true crime expert uh, about two weeks ago. We just released the episode yesterday. And when I had played it back, we had done the interview over Zoom and we've done all of our interviews over Skype and we did the interview over Zoom and Zoom didn't pick up my mic, but we had no clue during the interview that it didn't pick up my mic and it was only using the computer mic um, and the computers kind of pushed back so that I had the mic in front of me. Right. And when I went back and I listened to it, I was like, oh my God, this is so amateur. It sounds terrible. <laughs> so I went back and I re-recorded my parts to the best that I could with the emotion and and everything in it. And I just re-edited it into the to the episode because I was like, this is this is ridiculous. So, you know, you still make your rookie mistakes now, uh, even though we've we're about 34, 35 episodes in right now. And uh, I mean, it, it's going to happen. 
It, it, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I can remember two off the top of my head were uh, were interview times that, that were just terrible. Was uh, One time was with Jack O'Holloran. Uh, I got a great interview with him. We were we sat down for like two hours just bullshitting. And I went to uh, check uh, check it after we were done, and I said goodbye to him. Uh, it was gone. I, I never hit record. <laughs> oh, wow. I never. Oh, wow. So I had to well, make. Oh, I can tell you, the man loves to talk. We we did an interview with him as well. We're we're in the process of editing it, and he loves to talk. Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. So I had to I had to call up the uh, publicist again, you know, Steve Joyner, and yeah. I was like, dude, um, don't tell him this, but I didn't hit record, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> we we made up some excuse of like I had a technical malfunction or something, but you know, and of course, if he hears this episode, he's gonna be like that motherfucker. But I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Can yeah. I your show. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I just realized I'm like, you know, yeah. dropped F-bombs and even yeah, say no. doesn't uh, matter. You know, another another time was very similar to yours. Um, it was not too long after I got the mixer uh, for my microphone and was uh, trying to produce the show. And I'm talking to somebody on uh, on on Skype. And this was this was a completely different show. Um, and when I went back to listen to the, the playback, their stuff was fine. But you couldn't hear me for shit, and it's because I forgot to turn on the damn mixer. <laughs> so I had to do the exact same thing you did, is I had to sit there and uh, voice over my own episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that took way too long for my liking, because I was like, oh, you know what, All episode, th this episode was really, really well done. There wasn't a lot of editing to do in it, um, just because they, they knew their material, they knew their stuff. Uh, the questions were great, or their back and forth was great. And then you go back and listen to it, and you're like, no, I'm not releasing this. It's it's just outright terrible. So mm -hmm. we, I, I just had to go redo it, and that took me about three days by the time I could re-record and edit it back in and, and get it all done. It was just, uh, it was a lot of work, but I mean, it was worth it because the episode came out really, really well. Well, let me ask, let me ask you a question. Let me, let me, let me hijack your show. Um, yeah, no worries. Good question. Uh, when you release your product, when, when you're sitting there and editing, you got that, like when you're done with this episode here or this, uh, this interview, how much editing do you put to the actual main to uh, subject topic? Uh, minus like taking out uh, uh, dead air time or something like that. Uh, or do you, or you type of person like, like myself where outside of like long pauses, long dead air, I don't, touch the main film i i leave any flubs or mistakes in there because i think it just kind of adds to the charm so i'm kind of yeah curious. yeah it adds to the realness of it uh, i know if i if i listen to myself talk and i say um 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 i'll try and edit out a few of those here and there uh, but i'm not usually too bad on them now because we've become very aware of it doing the podcast over and over again now and I kind of like learned a few tricks. Uh, we use Audacity to do our editing. And I've right. learned a few tricks to take out like the, the silences all in one shot. Um, we've, we've learned how to do like the compressor and the uh, normalization and just clean up the audio a little bit. So the editing has been really, really taken down in terms of time compared to what we had when we first started. When we first started, we were spending, God, four or five, six hours on it. Uh, just to do one episode, but now it's probably, I think I edited an episode yesterday in about an hour, hour and a half. Okay. Uh, I tell you, it's, it's funny how self-conscious you come doing this stuff. I mean, for the four years that I was do, uh, doing this, I became very, very self-conscious of the fact, like you were pointing out the, um, 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 
I became very self-conscious of the fact that I had a phrase that I just, it was, a tick. it was like a nervous tick. I went, I would preface it every sentence with stuff of that nature. And it got to the point that I was starting to joke around and say that you could, you know, have a drinking game to it. You know, every time I say it, take a shot, <laughs> but it, I actually started being self-conscious of making sure I didn't say that phrase. So. Yeah, and that's mine as well. My my wife said she found my tell in in the podcast, and she said you say stuff like that a lot in the podcasts. And I'm like, you know what? Now I'm so self conscious about saying it, so I try my hardest not to say it during a podcast. But hey, it's gonna come up once in a while. Yeah, once in a while. Uh, I I actually I actually giggle every time I catch myself saying so stuff of that nature now. So yeah. You know, it's like hey, there's one. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh yeah. yeah, so I'm curious. I I'm I'm on the show. I don't know the show. I, I haven't had a chance to sit down and listen to it yet. What is what is the jerky pod or pod jerky? Which uh, pod jerky. Pod jerky. Yeah. So we uh, we started out basically right uh, from the beginning as just a variety show. So we would talk about everything. We talked about uh, different things in our in my wife and I's life. We we talked about fertility struggles. We talked about uh, just pet peeves with each other. I'm actually hosts with a co-host of mine that is uh, a partner with me at work, and we're on a lot of episodes together. But my wife will jump on when he's not available. And we just talk about everything in general. We'll talk about movies. We'll talk about uh, like Netflix reviews. We'll talk about fertility, pet peeves. We're, we, I work with special needs kids every day. Okay. And um, we did an episode on autism. Uh, so we just do everything there. Right now, we've gotten into a lot of uh, music episodes um, because we have uh, a guest, uh, sorry, a Canadian rapper that just came out with a single. And he's a rapper from about 20 years ago okay. uh, that he came out with some new stuff now. And we're helping with him and we're doing promotions for him and he's working with us and, you know, we're doing a lot of his teamwork. So we're having his his uh, people on the show and interviewing them and, and doing stuff like that. So we're working on a big, big project with them right now uh, that that's supposed to be taking place in a couple of weeks from now, hopefully. And uh, hopefully that's going to like push it um, more mainstream than it is right now. Uh, that's funny. By the way, I don't know if you noticed. I took a, I took a drink as soon as you said stuff like that. Um, <laughs> I did say that too. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that part out and send it to your wife. It's like, yeah, hey, caught me. Um, now it's funny you say that because I used to be a professional wrestler, uh, independent circuit, and one of the federations I worked for and one of the guys I worked with uh, did the exact same thing. He was a special needs teacher. Uh, in fact, I remember one of the shows I did. Uh, was at his school, and it was kind of funny because I, I wrestled a buddy of his, uh, Chris Petra, that night. But uh, the the, te- uh, the 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 wrestler slash promoter uh, who went by the name Maverick was a a science teacher for a special needs school. And what was hilarious is like you know you know at a wrestling show people go by their gimmick names and the fans know you by your gimmick names and that's what it is and. Poor Mav, he's he's going out to the ring and they're they're calling him by his name, you know, Mister Blah Blah. You know, I don't remember what his name, his real name is, you know, but like Mister Blah 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 and cheering him on and stuff. I, I remember, I remember it was really touching to the special needs kids because I was a bad guy at the time and Chris Petro was a good guy, so I, I had won that match. No, no, I'm sorry, I did. I lost that match, and uh, it was it, I screwed myself. I got myself disqualified, and apparently. 
these kids did not care about good guys or bad guys because, uh, you know, when the show was done and over and I went in the back and I got changed into my normal street clothes and I went to go meet my girlfriend at the time, she's sitting next to this little girl in a wheelchair who who's crying, dying. And I'm, I'm like, why? You know, what's wrong, sweetheart? You know, like letting the ga- character down. And she was crying because I lost. She was sad that I lost. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, you know that that's okay. the impact that you can have on other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a special yeah. thing. And, yeah, and and mentioning that you are, are or were a uh, professional wrestler, um, you're from Philadelphia, and we were actually talking on the phone. I think it was last week before we had booked this episode, and you were actually talking to me about, um, a, I guess, a situation that had happened to you coming off of the bus of somewhere. Where somebody wanted to, I think, jump you or try to rob you or something. Colorado. Uh, do you want to tell that story there? Uh, about 1999, 2000, I decided to move to Colorado Springs to help out family issues. I have family out in Colorado Springs. Um, so the ironic thing is, is I'll, I'll preface it that with this story. My mother lives out in Colorado Springs. Now, my mother was against me being an entertainer in any way, shape, or form. She knew I had a dream of being a musician, and she tried to squash it in every way, shape, or form. I grew up always hearing that musicians die of an early age of drug overdoses. You know, that's what they do. So when I became a professional wrestler, I thought, oh, Jesus, my mother will love this. And she thinks, you know, all musicians are drug addicts. Let's talk about champagne and painkillers and steroids for a minute, you know. Um so when I decided I was going to come out there to help out family, I knew I was going to continue my wrestling career. So I had to finally bite the bullet and call my mother and tell her what I do, because I'm going to have to find a federation out there. I'm going to be doing shows. So I gave the call and I'm like, Mom, I got to confess to something. And <laughs> I told her finally that, I, you know, for the past couple of years, I've been an independent professional wrestler. And I intend to continue to do so out in, out in Colorado. And I just don't want you to, you know, think I've been lying to you, even though I've been keeping it from you for the past couple of years. And she was silent on the phone. And then all of a sudden she said, I always knew you'd get into some form of acting. That, that was it. You know, like I was prepared. I was clenched up like butts, butt just clenched as hard as it could waiting for that backlash. Are you effing kidding me? You know, like, and, and that was all I got. It was actually kind of disappointing. But uh, now, so I finally get the Greyhound bus. I took a Greyhound out from Philadelphia to Colorado Springs, Colorado, which took a day and a half, um, 36 straight hours on a bus. Uh, The stupidest part of it was spending a four-hour layover in Denver. (laughs) I could have walked to Colorado Springs before the bus decided to leave the terminal to go to Colorado Springs. Um. During that time, like I said, I was always dreaming of being a musician. So I always had a guitar and stuff like that. And I had a very nice 1986 Ibanez EX series guitar. Now, understand, when I got off the bus at Colorado Springs, I was wearing a Philadelphia Eagles hat, a Philadelphia Flyers Eric Lindros jersey, (laughs) carrying this Ibanez on my back and waiting for the the bus uh, driver to open up the side thing so I can get my duffel bag and everything else. And these three little wannabe punk kids, you know, the, you, you know, the ones, the, the little white boys all dressed up like they're from N.W.A. Um, yeah. And they're coming up to me. It's like, yo, Holmes, that nice guitar. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. You know, and they're like, you should give it to me. 
And I looked at him, like, excuse me? And you should give it to me. And I just laughed at him. Like, I didn't mean to be an arrogant prick. And it was definitely not the, the wrestling gimmick that came out of me. But it was just like, are you fucking kidding me? I literally just got off the bus in in this place. And I'm looking around, and Colorado Springs is beautiful. It's nice. I'm in downtown Colorado Springs. And it's better than the suburbs of where I grew up. You know, and I'm sitting there like, are you fucking kidding? Are you for real? You know, <laughs> and that must have been enough to intimidate them that I just turned around and laughed in their face. Like, you have no idea where the hell I'm from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I can tell you from experience, like we we actually went, you knowing from Philadelphia, um, ECW was there and we actually took a trip from Toronto, Canada to Philadelphia and we did the Greyhound bus thing as well. And I think it was a 12 or 13 hour bus ride mm -hmm. um, by the time they make all their stops and everything. And we we got to Philadelphia and we got to the bus station and we said to the bus driver, hey, how far is this hotel from the station? And they said, well, it's probably about a four block walk. And I said, ah, let's just walk it. By the time we find a taxi and get down there and, you know, we'll 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 make it there before we we get a taxi to get us there. Right. And we ended up walking 23 blocks. <laughs> and it was a long, long walk. And it was really, I, I don't want to say rough, but it wasn't what we were expecting, I guess. Right. Um, and uh, we walked through there and then we ended up going out at night to say, okay, let's go look where this bingo hall is, the famous bingo hall for ECW. Right. And it's not in the best area. No. Um, we walked up into, uh, like, there's like a chop shop near there. And mm -hmm. I walked straight up the driveway and it's wide open. And you had like four guys just hanging out in the chop shop. And I walked up and my buddy's like, hey, dude, like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to ask them where this thing is, where this bingo hall is. And he was like, I wouldn't go up there if I were you. And I just, I, I walked straight up there and I was like, hey, where's the ECW uh, bingo hall? And I did it from a distance just in case, because my buddies were kind of like way behind me. And I don't even know if they could even got to me if they wanted to. And uh, they told us where it was, actually. But it was kind of a sketchy uh, area. So mm -hmm. that was kind of our experience there with Philly. Well, it's, it's kind of funny because Philadelphia and, and, and even in the wrestling scene because of ECW, Philadelphia's got a bad reputation. Like if you follow sports, the, the, the word Philadelphia is just synonymous with hatred. You know, uh, we're, we're the guys that threw fucking ice balls at Santa Claus, you know, and, and, you know, all that happy stuff. We if you wear a Cowboys jersey at an Eagles game, you're leaving in a stretcher. I mean, we have that reputation. We do. But the city as bad as it is. And I could say this. I, I could say this uh, being a Philadelphian as bad as this the city can be. And we have earned every bit of the reputations that we have more often than not. But really, a lot of people in Philadelphia are, I would say, are like the salt of the earth. Um, they're very, very, most people in Philadelphia are very, very blue collar. Um, so they'll tell you what they think about you and they'll do it non-apologetically. But most of them would give the shirt off their back to you. Now, that's not saying that there aren't bad eggs in the air. Of course there are. And there are some areas of Philadelphia I would never recommend anybody to go. But more often than not, even in areas like around the ECW arena, you're going to find people that you're probably going to be scared coming up to, but they would, you would find out they're probably some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. So <laughs> just very blunt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it, it was just, a, it was a different scene from what we were used to uh, growing up in Toronto. I mean, we have our, you know, our neighborhoods that are a, a little bit rough and a little bit sketchy. 
Uh, but I don't think we were prepared at that point in our lives. I think we were still maybe like 19, 18, 19 years old when we had gone. Uh, we, I don't think we were prepared at that point of our lives for the differences between the two cities. <laughs> well, what about you? You, 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 uh, you're, you're, you said you're in Canada. What part of Canada? I'm in, well, I'm in a, a city called Whitby. So it's just a little bit east of Toronto, uh, probably about half an hour from Toronto. But we're part of a, a place called the Greater Toronto Area. It's the GTA. And there's okay. like five different municipalities that are involved with that. And uh, we're part of, so technically we're Toronto. Would it, would it be considered a French Canadian territory, like Eastern? No. Uh, so the French Canadian would be more of Quebec. We're in Ontario. Um, okay. We are multi, uh, bi like we're bilingual throughout the entire country. We, are, we have two official languages. But I think more people in Ontario speak a lot of English as opposed to French, whereas uh, Quebec would be more French as opposed to the English. That's why I was asking, because the only time I've ever been to uh, Canada was when I was 14 years old. I was part of a, a naval youth organization out here, and we actually did a two-week cruise, summer cruise, on a uh, guided missile frigate uh, that, that ported in Montreal. And so I got to spend uh, a day and a night in Montreal, Canada. You know, um, which was, you know, even at 14, it was absolutely beautiful. Plus, I could drink there um, <laughs> at 14. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it was it was it was an absolutely beautiful city, but it just sucked that I couldn't speak the language. They're all French. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, even myself, I mean, we took French in high school. I, I took it up until we had what we call Ontario academic credit. So that would be like grade 13 here. Um, and they, they, they taught us French up to there, but there's no way today I would be able to go into Montreal or anywhere in Quebec for that matter and be able to carry on a full conversation of French. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, so. it's just a different language and I, I haven't picked up on it. And I mean, I was pretty good in school, but today, no, I mean, that was 25 years ago. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm thinking, man. It's like 14, 14, I'm 30, I'm 43 now. So it's like, you're, you're talking almost 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so, yeah, you know, I did the I did the years of wrestling and, and spent a good decade in in Colorado, starting from that bus trip. So. <laughs> and, and you went by the name Matt Wild. Correct. I was. I started out my career. It's kind of funny how I wound up with the name. Uh, when I started my career, the the name Matt kind of came right off the bat. Because it, it, turn, it turned around, I was pretty good at bumping. Uh, my trainers felt that I was pretty good at bumping and that I was a good chain wrestler and mat wrestler. So the name Matt came from the mat wrestling. Uh, but originally, they thought that my personality uh, said that I should be Matt Jericho. I should be Chris Jericho's little cousin. And for the longest time, up until almost up until graduation, that was going to be my name. And I hated it. I didn't want to mark gimmick. I didn't want to be Chris Jericho's little cousin. You know, I didn't want to make my career off of somebody else's legacy. Right. And so one day laying on a couch in, in, in my apartment, I was listening to some Ozzy Osbourne and going through, uh, you know, the little leaflets in the uh, in the uh, CD case. And I was just reading the names of the band, you know, like, you know, uh, Randy Rhodes. It was the greatest hits album. And uh came to uh, along Zach Wild's name and I just said Matt Wild out loud and it's it hit me and I'm like that's it you know that's what I'll do and uh 
I took on the moniker the extreme at that time because I wanted to show off the fact that I was, you know, I was hardcore. So I was the extreme Matt Wild, and that's how that's how I started my career. And then I dropped extreme when I moved to uh, Colorado, and was just Matt Wild as as a heel, and uh, had the personality of of I come, you know, just like off the bus is like I come for Phil. Well, you guys ain't got shit on me, you know, type deal. And that was my mentality up until I turned face. Uh, good guy for people that don't understand uh, the wrestling jargon. And uh, that was actually because my promoter dared me that, uh, well, made a bet with me that he could turn me face. Said, There's no way. I'm the hottest heel you've got. There's no way you could turn me face. Like, I get escorted out of the building every show because people are waiting for me in the parking lot, you know? <laughs> and he's like, all right, all right, I got you. Uh, come up with a moniker. I'm like, what, like the extreme? He said, no, 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 something new, something that fits. I'm like, well, I'm East Coast pride, so, and I'm a Shawn Michaels mark, so how about East Coast kid? We'll call myself the East Coast kid, Matt Wall. I said, okay. I said, he said, next show, I want you to come out to the ring with an American flag, so go get an American flag. I said, okay, this is going to be cheap heat. Got it. <laughs> so I went and got an American flag. I show up at the show, and I'm booked against Super Destroyer, and his manager, the General Hussein, they put me up against an Iraqi gimmick. Oh, uh, that's almost like the Hogan uh, Sheik kind of uh, pretty much story back in the day. Yeah, pretty much. So instant, instant face, and that unfortunately that was well, not unfortunately, but unfortunately I lost the bet. He won, and I stayed face until I retired. <laughs> And remain the East Coast kid. Actually, I did uh, when I retired. I was taking on just started taking on the moniker, the independent icon, kind of playing off the fact that I've been all over the United States as Matt Wild and uh, twenty plus years, and and you know being a being a wily veteran instead of the punk, young punk kid that the gimmick always was. I thought it was a cute little spoof to call myself the independent icon, you know, but. Mm. I don't know if that ever would have stuck because I didn't stay around long enough. <laughs> yeah. And I actually was listening to another podcast that you were on and you were saying that you got to actually work in an actual WrestleMania ring from, was it WrestleMania three? Yes. That you got to work in, in that ring? Yes. It was uh, down in Maryland. I got to do a, a, a match and it, I remember the match, but I don't, ironically, I don't remember the company. Um, but uh, they had bought the actual uh ring from WrestleMania 3 the actual WWF ring uh that they had during WrestleMania 3 it had the legitimate ropes it wasn't wire and 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 hose taped up it was legitimately like bull, uh boat rope like the rope you would use to tie up a, a battleship you know shit hurt to the hit you know, and the ring was stiff as hell. Oh, my God. You know, there, there, anybody who thinks that rings, especially back in the day rings, uh, were like trampolines. No, th this was like falling on concrete floor. There was no give to this to this ring. But uh, well, it had to hold Andre in that ring, right? Exactly. It was reinforced, you know, and it, it was it was it was it was an honor to be in the ring, even though. uh at the time, it was me and my tag team partner facing uh, the Canadian, uh, the Canadian Dream, and uh, Jeremy Spoken. And actually, another funny part of that match was uh, I broke the tip of my right uh, index finger in in that match, and I still to this day have no idea how. 
I found out after the match when I uh, went to try to get into my locker and I used my hand. And, you know, you use the side of your, your hand to, to lift up the locker to open the door. And when I went to go do that, it was just a sharp stabbing pain into my hand. I'm like, what the hell? And I found out I broke the tip of my finger. Still don't know how. <laughs> but I would I would imagine a lot of injuries happen in wrestling. I don't know if you've suffered any major injuries uh, besides Nothing. the broken finger, but I mean, imagine a lot of injuries happen in in pro wrestling. I've had a lot of uh, I wouldn't. Well, they weren't major. They weren't like life threatening or career ending. But uh, I would call them major in the fact that they sucked and hurt. Um, I've had bruised ribs, uh, bruised ankle bone. I've dislocated my nose three times. Uh, <laughs> I've had a couple teeth knocked out. Um, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's been interesting. I've, you know, I've dislocated a couple things here or there or bruised a couple things here or there. But thank God nothing that's been uh, long-lasting. So... And who are the, some of the wrestlers that you actually worked with? Um, was there anybody that would be well-known not on the independent circuit that have made it somewhere where people would know them? Or was it more just mainly independent uh, workers? I've, I mainly worked independent workers, but I, I've met my share, uh, whether whether I've worked them or worked with them, like on the same show, or or they wound up showing up at some event that I was at. You know, I have met some of the the bigger names. I mean, just if I'm gonna if I'm gonna list names, I might as well start off with my trainers, my official trainers, who were uh, Anthony Sorelli and uh, Anthony Sorelli and Gary Wolf, the ECW peoples. You know, yeah. so yeah. I had them as trainers, and of course, uh, through my course of training, I wound up meeting people like uh, Dancing Stevie Richards, uh, Luke and Butch the Bushwhackers. Uh, I told a story before about meeting George D animal steel for GWA and, uh, how he was supposed to rip open the turnbuckle like he always does. But the promoter had just bought brand new turnbuckles. So they were supposed to put one just for him, an older one. And when it was time for him to rip up the turnbuckle, he went to the wrong turnbuckle and ripped up one of his, uh, Izzy's uh, $400 turnbuckle pads, you know? Um, yeah, I've had long conversations with George Steele. I've gotten drunk with, uh, with a uh, honky tonk man. I've gotten high with uh, Rob Van Dam, uh, gotten drunk with Chris Jericho, uh, <laughs> had long conversations with uh, Jimmy Snook, uh, Superfly Snooka. Uh, God, I've met AJ Styles and CM Punk before they became names. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot, a lot of different people throughout the years. And, and how were they? In terms of like, if you were saying that you got drunk with Chris Jericho, how was that? Because right now he's kind of older. I think he's 47, 48 years old around there. And he's just reinvented his whole career in AEW right now. He's just a fantastic performer, fantastic, uh, like just to get his his persona out there. Uh, even with Rob Van Dam, I know we used to tease him. We have been to a couple of ECW events, uh, one in Philly, a couple in Toronto when they had come to Toronto. And we would just like, you know, he would look at us showboating at the camera and we would just be tapping our watches like, come on, man, you're taking too long. Like, this is ridiculous. And, you know, he'd <laughs> give us a smile from time to time when when he would see us. Um, but how was it just hanging out with those guys and just shooting the shit? Uh, well, you know, the, the, the Rob Van Dam thing, like the, the, I know you asked about Chris Jericho, but to give you an example, like the Rob Van Dam thing was completely by accident. Uh, it was it, it was guilty by association as somebody else that I knew knew him. 
So they met up with him, and it was just like, you know, I was standing there like, oh, dude, it's fucking RVD, you know, and shit like that. And the ECW days, so he was he was a big deal to me, but not necessarily to the rest of the world yet. Right. You know what I mean? And so yeah, he's just, hey, dude, you want to smoke, you know? Uh, Dancy Steven Richards, for example, uh, the big thing I had in common with him is he's a huge video game buff. So, uh, you know, anytime I talk to him, we usually just bullshit about the next Resident Evil game. Uh, Chris Jericho, I met because one of the wrestlers who wasn't the pit bulls, but also took interest in in training me or helping train me, became a very good friend, was uh, named Midnight. And he was part of a, a faction called the My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. He was the one who was actually friends with Chris Jericho during the day that Jericho was working in WCW and in ECW. And, you know, he was still doing the Lionheart gimmick. And so uh, on occasion when Jericho would come into town into Philly, he would stay and crash on Midnight's couch. You know, so that's how I wound up with that because I was hanging out with with uh, Midnight one night and Jericho wound up showing up and we just sat around bullshitting and drinking and he was really there to hang out with, with Midnight and I just got to sit there and listen, you know, more than anything because I was a greenhorn at the time. So, you know, you don't talk to the vets until they talk to you. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was cool. He, he seemed like a very down to earth guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of them do. I mean, even if I know you kind of have to put out that that vibe when you do uh, public appearances, uh, stuff like that. I mean, we went there's that stuff like that again. Um, but we yeah. we ended up meeting a bunch of them. We went to a restaurant. They came to Toronto for a show. And this was years ago. Uh, but we we ended up going to a restaurant that they were known to frequent when they came to Toronto. So I was able to meet Edge. I was able to meet uh, Val Venus, Big Boss Man, Nikolai Volkov. There was there was a whole bunch of them, Christian. And they, they were nice enough while they were eating dinner to give out autographs. And, and they were really like just down to earth, really cool guys. Godfather was pissed drunk out of his mind. It was, <laughs> it was, it was hilarious. But I mean, it, it was really, really cool that they took the time because I, I went up to Edge. And my friend was with me and she had said, come get his autograph, come get his autograph. And I said, leave the man alone. He's eating. I said, we'll go and we'll see him afterwards and see if we can get an autograph later. And she's like, no, no, no. He said, it's cool. He said, it's cool. She brought me over and she said, my friend here is shy. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And I still have that autograph to today. And it says to shy Tom from edge. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it, it, from, from personal experience, and maybe it's because I was on the inside, uh, you know, inside looking out instead of the outside looking in. But to me, I think in the, uh, even as a kid, like uh, I knew I knew people who were part of the independent circuit when I was still a teenager and I got dragged to shows and stuff and I got to meet people like the warlord, you know what I mean? And and all. And, and even then I knew that the wrestlers were this different breed of people. Most not all, not all. Don't get me wrong here. And I definitely don't want to out some people in the business, but most wrestlers are more approachable than for the sake of argument. Uh, I've had this conversation numerous times about an ex-girlfriend and, and myself being at the Denver art museum. And, uh, she and her mother are huge, huge Beatles fans. Well, who happens to be in the art museum that day, but fucking Ringo star, you know, oh, wow. and, you know, and, and Ringo's there with his, somebody, some girl, I don't know if it was his wife or whatever. And, uh, they were all, oh my God, it's Ringo, it's Ringo, it's Ringo. And I said, I would go up and talk to him and see if I can possibly get an autograph. Now, I'm respectful enough and understand that Ringo's there trying to have a normal life. So I didn't want to draw attention to him. 
but I walked up and, you know, looking at the same painting, he is just standing there and I'm like, look, excuse me, Mr. Ringo, you know, I don't mean to intrude. I'm sure you're trying to enjoy your day and everything. But the thing is, is that my girlfriend and her mother are here and they are huge, huge fans. Would it be possible, not now, but maybe before you leave or whatever, that I could possibly get an autograph or maybe just have them come over and say hello to you? And he just looks at me and told me to fuck off and walks away. Like, what a dick. Oh, wow. You know, I, mean, I tried to yeah. be so respectful to him, you yeah. know, and not be too intrusive. And he just turns around and tells me to fuck off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I, know like, I haven't had any experiences like that. I mean, we had... Uh, UFC had come to Toronto and we went down to the fan expo okay. and all the fighters were down there. So I had met Anderson Silva. I had met John Jones. I have met, uh, um, Cain Velasquez and we ran into like Rashad Evans. He was just actually in our, like it's called Dundas square. So it's just a big uh, area down there where, you know, it's just a big part of downtown. And we just bumped into him literally walking down the street and we we're like, Hey, how's it going? And he stopped and he talked with us. He took a picture uh, he told us where what booth he was going to be at at the expo. He said, come see me. Um, we ran into Frank Mir, um, his promoter, I guess, or his manager. And they didn't have anything to sign with. They they didn't bring markers to sign autographs with. So we ended up giving him ours. So he was actually the manager to, I believe it was uh, uh, Chuck Liddell as well, uh, for the autograph session. And we said, hey, like, can we get an autograph? And he's like, guys, come on. I was like, we gave you markers to sign for Frank Mir. You had nothing to sign for the, the, the fans. And he was like, you're going to use that? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to use that. I want Chuck Liddell's <laughs> autograph, you know? So he actually went and got it and he, he did it for us. So I was happy about that. But he was kind of playing that dick mode where he, was, he didn't want to do it just because we gave him markers. But we helped you out. So just it, give us an autograph, right? So it was, that's the way it worked out. But... For the most part, with anybody that we have met, they've been fantastic with us. There was there was uh, one time there was one time that, that, that you kind of reminded me of. Uh, I was working volunteering before I was a wrestler. I was volunteering at a youth group, uh, Tabor Rams Youth Organization, and they had actually secured ECW to do a show at Tabor Rams uh, Rec Center. So. It was a it was an adult show. They had alcohol and stuff like that. So I was sit, standing there drinking a beer, and I was actually mining the, uh, the, the 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 keg, the the concession area, and uh, the match was uh, Shane Douglas versus Tommy Dreamer, and uh, they went out in the crowd like they do. And Tommy walks up to me uh, as he's dragging Shane Douglas along, and he grabs my beer out of my hand, and he says, "I'll I'll buy you another one." And he slams the beer in in. Uh, uh, Shane Douglas's face and the match goes on. I'm just like, you know, I didn't mind because I'm working because I just poured another one, but I'm like, Tommy dreamer took my fucking cup. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, after the show, you know, we're running around trying to get autographs like everybody else. And I met little Guido and I met, you know, you know, some of the other guys, Sandman and, and Scott Levy and, and shit. And here comes Tommy dreamer out of the locker room with his gear and he's getting ready to leave. And I go over to try to get his autograph didn't even mention he, the, the beer or anything. And he, he looks at me as I'm walking up to him. He's like, I owe you your beer, don't I? I said, well, it's, don't worry about it. Concession's closed anyway. He said, no, 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 come with me. So I walked him out to his car and he opens up his trunk and he throws his gear in the thing. And then he opens up one of the boxes here that he carries all the merchandise for ECW. And he just gives me an ECW shirt. He says, well, let's cover it. And I said, I was just going to ask for an autograph, dude. Yeah, cool. Awesome. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, it, 
they 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 most of them I would find are nice. Like we in Toronto, even with the uh, ECW event that was here, we were just standing in line. And and I think you know with the ECW arena with the bingo hall there it was more first come first serve. You you have to stand in line pretty early to get in. Uh, there's no assigned seating. I think except for right at ringside. Right. Um, and then in Toronto, it was the same concept. They did the same thing. We were in a smaller arena and we had to go at, I believe it was six in the morning. We got there it was me and my buddy and we waited for another eight guys to come down and, uh, meet us. Cause they're like, I'm not going at six in the morning. You guys go, you wait in line and then we'll join you later. So I said, no problem. Let's go. And it ended up being that security thought that I was one of the wrestlers <laughs> and I was standing in line and they told me, go ahead, go on backstage. And me at that point was sitting there going, really? I, I'm just allowed to walk right back there? And they're like, yeah, Paul Heyman's here. Chili Willie's here. You know, just go right onto the back. And I was like, no, like you're, you're, you're saying that I can just walk in the back there. So they had thought that I was a wrestler. And I was like, stupid. I didn't take the opportunity to just walk back there because right. they probably would have thought maybe a mass transit incident or I'm trying to get in or whatever it is. But Spike Dudley ended up coming out and meeting with the fans in the lineup. And it was super cool because he was just taking pictures with everybody, giving everybody autographs. And, you know, Spike Dudley's not a huge, huge name uh, that a lot of people would know. But growing up a wrestling Dude. fan, you would know who he is. He, he's and, more well known than what he was. I mean, he was a small guy, but that, there ain't nobody in this business currently or back then that had the heart Spike did. You know, that, right. that that's just without question. Yeah. And it was just it was just so cool to have him come out to the line he took a picture with us with like his like kind of trademark face with his thumb up and he had like the lip over to the side and he had a beer in his hand. And it was just a cool uh, kind of uh, situation that came to be there. And uh, that's what I mean by saying a lot of these guys are they're so for being around the fans and, and appreciating the fans as well. As long as you're not hardcore, like Dan, like running at them and, you know, like screaming like uh, concert goers or whatever it is. I'm sure they're all pretty, pretty good about it. I don't, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, plant or not plant. I, I know, you know, a lot of times there's work in the worker, but I've seen footage of like, uh, like for the sake of argument, like John Cena, uh, coming to a, coming to an arena and, and, you know, fans are there to meet and greet and stuff like that as he's trying to walk in. And then somebody challenges him to a rap off cause he was famous for the rap off shit. And yeah. like they would, they would actually try to do the, the, the rapping disses like he would do to him and he, he'd play along. Like, you know, again, that could be that could be a complete and total work. But it seems to me like right. some of them even play. I know The Rock does it. The Rock, when he was wrestling, he was constantly uh, pulling the uh, it doesn't matter what you, you know, to the fans and shit like that. And having them play off of him and him play off of them and, and shit like that. So, I mean, you know, I think I think I think some of them get off on it. I, I really do like not dirty or whatever, but they they play along as opposed to like having an issue with the over the top fan right yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, i i know you had mentioned that you don't even watch the product today at all um it's terrible do you know anything that's going on yeah i i feel the same way i, I can't even I, I can't even watch it like i could literally pvr it and watch it in seven to eight minutes just fast forwarding uh, through the whole thing uh, i just i'm just not happy with with uh I, I don't know much about AEW. I got to be fair. I haven't really watched. I watched the first pay per view, the the, the 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 inaugural show that that got premiered, and I didn't think it was terrible. But I said, "Yeah, I'll give it a minute and see what see what the buzz is about, see what it does." Because at that point, it was just like you know, okay, Dusty Rhodes versus Cody Rhodes. Gee, not original, you know, type. Yeah. And uh, 
But the WWE, like to me, the E after the ruthless aggression era, not not the attitude, not the other ones. When when they stopped doing, uh, I don't want to use the term adult wrestling, but but when they decided to go Disney friendly with their PG shit. Yeah. They lost something, and and I said they lost something since the end of the Monday Night Wars. When Vince uh, bought WCW and ECW, he was his own worst enemy, because the yeah. storylines, the talent, the, the 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 progressions in the matches and the shows was all dictated by the fact that he had competition and he had to be better than his competition. Yeah. Now that there's no competition, that which is what I'm hoping AEW and things like Impact actually provide, uh, Ring of Honor provide is is actual competition to wwe to give them a fire under their ass to actually put out a better product because the storyline writing has been sloppy as shit the in-ring work is terrible like people are singing praises about girl power and the the women wrestlers and i'm going to say something that's very unpopular there are some very very talented female wrestlers in wwe right now but they look sloppy as shit and that is disgraceful to me. When you think of when I think of female wrestlers, I think of Bull Nakano. I think of Medusa. You know, I think of wrestlers like that who who went out there and you it, outside of the outfits, you could not tell that they were male or female because they just went out and whooped somebody's ass and their shit yeah. tight and and deliberate and every bump, every cell, everything looked right. And then ever since the Trish Stratus shit, now it's better than the Trish Stratus era, but I mean, you know, that was the era where, where it was more about how diva. you look and diva <laughs> than how solid you are in the ring. And I do like the fact that this new incarnation of the women's division has gone back to the traditions of, of being about wrestling more than about, you know, about uh, looks, but it doesn't look sharp. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look deliberate. Like they need again, they need to spend less time worrying about making Becky Lynch look like the man and more about Becky Lynch looking like she can kick the shit out of a man. Yeah. Honest opinion. Yeah. But then on the yeah. opposite end of the coin, you think about you think about all the heydays of WWE or wrestling in general, but especially in WWE. You could always hang your hat on select groups of people as far as in the men's division is concerned. You know, um, you always had Hogan. But Hogan also had Andre and he had Macho Man and, you know, stuff like that. And then the Attitude Area, you had your Bret Hart and you had your Sid Vicious's and you had your Shawn Michaels. But you also had your Triple H's. You also had, you know, uh, uh, Kevin. Austin and Rock. And and Rock. And, you know, you had those people. I don't think you have anybody in the E right now that's worthy of it. AJ, maybe. Sure. Uh I, I would give credit to uh, the long-haired one from uh, from the the Shield, not not Roman Reigns, but uh, Seth Rollins. Seth, Seth, yeah. You know, you, maybe you can hang something on them, but that's kind of it. You know. Yeah. Break- well, I think the problem is is they're not they're not letting any other superstars take that chance and going with them. They're still shoving the same stars down your throat week after week after week, and there's wrestlers sitting back there that you know you you could probably build. And probably work a program with an AJ Styles to help them because you know AJ Styles is going to pull a four or five star match out of you. Right. Um, he's you know he's super talented, 
but you know, you still have the same guys. And then, you know, they're bringing back the older guys as well. Like last night, I think, or Friday night, whenever SmackDown is on, um, I read that Joseph Park showed up, who was Abyss in TNA, <laughs> and uh, he showed up with AJ Styles as Joseph Park. And, you know, now you're wondering, what are they going to do with him? Like, you're probably about five to seven years too late on that that train with Abyss. I'll tell you right now, my, right now, the one thing I do know is that they they are drowning, drowning, probably the strongest gimmick they've had. And that's Bray Wyatt. Yep. They, they are going to kill him the same way you kind of killed the legend of Cactus Jack, in my opinion. Uh, Cactus yep. Jack was phenomenal. And, and, of course, the Mankind gimmick was solid when it came to WWE. But then you did the Dude Love and then the triple jumping between gimmick and gimmick. Gimmick kind of killed the, the legend of Cactus Jack for McFoley. I see the exact same issue with Bray Wyatt. When Bray Wyatt came in, with this deliverance style fucking crazy firefly gimmick. That Whale was like, and Mercy kind of gimmick. Yeah, the Whale and Mercy. That was all you needed. He was sold. He was solid, you know? Yeah. But now what is he? The fucking virus or what I don't I'm not even the sure. Fiend. The fiend. The fiend. Like, yeah. what the fuck is what are you doing with this guy? You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And he's he's a solid worker. He, he is. really is a solid worker. He puts on solid matches. I remember when they first brought him in, he was Husky Harris, and he was part of Nexus, some Nexus group that they had that had Wade Barrett, and I uh, mm-hmm. uh, can't remember a couple of the other guys that were in there, Titus O'Neil, I think. And, uh, you know, nobody really gave two shits about him at that point. It was just like, right. who's this guy? And, and, it, and, it, and it is what it is. And then he became this whole Bray Wyatt character. And that was a, that was an amazing gimmick. It was an awesome gimmick. Um, but then you you kind of, you know, I, I don't know if you watered it down because you had the, the Bludgeon Brothers in there with, uh, uh, what are their names again? I, I mean, the guys in uh, AEW now, uh, the two tag team guys, uh, Rowan and... Uh, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. I don't know their names. You right. know, and then they brought uh, Braun Strowman into the mix as well. And, you know, and, and Bray could have worked that gimmick all by himself. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it was it was. It is what it is. It was literally Undertaker's ministry. Yeah. Undertaker didn't need the ministry. He didn't need Viscera and 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 what was Humorous's character in it? You know, and and you, you know what I mean. Like it, yeah. it was it was stupid for the ministry. Like the Undertaker didn't need it. Bray Wyatt didn't need his flock family, whatever the fuck it was. You know, yeah. um, did just but. Bray's gimmick with the, like you said, like the Whale and Mercy gimmick was, was solid. You, you didn't have to fuck with it. There are times where you have to change gimmicks. Like you, like you said, with, uh, with, with changing to Bry from Husky Harris, that's just like, remember Dolph Ziggler was one of the, uh, was one of the, uh, spirit squad. Yeah. Originally, yep. you know, so. Nikki, I think his name was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, sometimes a, a gimmick change is good, but sometimes when you find the right gimmick, leave it alone. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they, the, the writers, they, I don't know if they do it as punishment to some of these guys, um, but they had uh, Dolph Ziggler was playing one of the cheerleaders from the, the, the squad. And then you had uh, Chavo Guerrero, who's a, an amazing worker, who started to play Kerwin White, who was uh, like a golf caddy. And uh, I don't remember who was Tony Atlas that was back in the day. 
that they started to play like an African tribesman. So I don't, I don't know if it's um, the wrestlers that are actually going to him and saying, hey, I want to try this gimmick or if they're being punished for something because some of these gimmicks are just way out there and, and I don't know how they're even allowed to be on TV. Vince must be just sitting in the back just laughing. Well, I mean, they're still not as bad as they were. Like, if you remember back in the days of the uh, WWF Superstar and, and Challenge shows on Saturday mornings or, or Sunday mornings, you know, and you remember the gimmicks like uh, the goon, you know, yeah. uh, or the hockey skates, boots. Yeah. Or my all time favorite was who for, no, from who knows where weighing who knows what. And you couldn't tell it was Jim the Anvil Nightheart under a hood with yellow spandex. On. Right. <laughs> yeah. And These then you had Mantar. Yeah, Mantar. Yeah. Ashton. Yeah. Ashton. Ashton Booger. Yeah, I remember him. Withdrawal. The short straw. You know, uh, Eugene. God forbid, Eugene gimmick. You know, I. I mean, that would never fly today. That would never fly today. Having somebody play a special needs kind of character, uh, almost in terms of making fun of it. I don't know. Because he wasn't really special needs, right? So I think people would get offended at it. No, he wasn't really special needs, but I don't know. The the way Eugene was played, he was lovable enough that people might have just forgiven it even yeah. today. Yeah. You know, like I, I didn't mind. That was Nick Densmore, and I didn't I didn't mind the gimmick back then, but I know the way the world is today with a lot of people getting offended with a lot of things, I and I'm not sure how they would take it today. No, you're you're not wrong. And I think I think that's part of what's killing wrestling the same way it's killing comedy and, and everything else is the fact of worrying about being within the political correct realm. You know, part of part of what makes wrestling work is it's very much a commentary on on modern events. Think about it back during the Gulf Wars when Sergeant Slaughter became a turncoat and an Iraqi so, uh, soldier, you know, and had to battle hulk hogan the ultimate all-american it was it was a complete mirror of current events at that time you know yeah. uh degeneration x's rise in in uh in wwe was mirrored to the fact of the angsty teenagers growing up and refusing to bow to authority you know um it, it's always been a mirror to current events now current events as everybody's offended by everything so much and you can't make fun of this or make fun of that well how are you supposed to mirror that if you don't create the bad guys that you're supposed to be battling against right you yeah. know it's kind of a catch yeah, definitely it's, <laughs> it's it's hard to watch now it's just hard to watch and um like i said like i could run through a three-hour episode in 10 10 minutes because well, I'm just fast forwarding it. And it's just like this. No, no, don't want to see this. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And then you get to some point, you're like, okay, let me check this out. And then you get halfway through the segment and you're nah, this, I don't care. So it, it's not the way I, I, the 97, I guess, 97 to 99 to 2001 would probably be my favorite years in terms of, I guess, the storylines and the characters involved and uh, just just the the sheer entertainment value that came out of it. Those would probably be my favorite years. I, I wouldn't disagree. And, I, and I'll be fair in this aspect. I think the mainstream wrestling is suffering right now. Yeah, uh, obviously, everybody's suffering because of covid. But I mean, uh, you know, the mainstream wrestling is the one suffering the most right now because of poor storylines poor uh poor decisions like i i was falling off on raw long before aew came around or whatever just because of the fact like you said i could watch a three-hour show and i'm lucky if i get three wrestling matches out of it you yeah know? 
and and the reason being is because they're only putting on three wrestling matches. The rest of it's you know mic work. Which, you know, yeah. I love having my time on a stick too, but I'd keep my shit the fucking five minutes, not ninety-five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. And uh so I think once everything kind of returns to normal, once COVID is over, if you, if people are starving for wrestling, just hit the independence. You'll get yeah. what you want. <laughs> you know? They may not yeah. be games, but you'll get what you want. Yeah, definitely. Because like right now, I mean, here with I guess my channels, I would only get the major ones. So I would get um, WWE. I would get AEW. I get Ring of Honor, but it's kind of iffy at what times it's on. It's sometimes uh, sometimes it's on like Sunday afternoon at five o'clock. And sometimes it's on like a Saturday at like 2 p.m. And yeah, so it, it's hit and miss if I if I'm able to catch it. Um, but other than that, like the independence, we don't really get any kind of airtime for that. I know for if if they have any airtime. Um, but uh, uh, the independents here, I don't know if we have many, very, like very many independent shows that actually are in Toronto. I don't know the extent of that. I don't know how far you are from Calgary, but I know like the, you know, Stampede Wrestling still running. I mean, that's got a legend. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, that's far, far away. Like I'm closer to Philly than I am to Calgary. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, if you're close enough to Philly, just come down and watch Ring of Honor. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's a whole different game now for for, uh, for wrestling. And it's just, bah, I, I don't even want to be bothered anymore. I, I, I just read the recaps online sometimes. And and mostly because I, like, like you, I had gotten out of the wrestling scene. But when I was working uh, with special needs kids, I had this one student that I was working with. And his favorite thing was wrestling. And he would talk to me about it every single day. And I, I felt the need that I had to, catch up on some stuff just because I could actually communicate with this, this kid. And he would just ask me, did you see this? Did you see this? And I'd say, I did, I did. Or I'd say, you know what? I, I didn't watch it. I, I taped it. Don't tell me what happened just in case I had forgotten to read up on the re results. And that's how I kind of got back into it. And then AEW started, but you know, they're starting to, to, to snag all the guys from WWE that got released. So all of their guys are starting to like, go down to the bottom of the card and the WWE guys are getting top spot. Luke Harper. That's the other guy's name. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. like he's in the AEW now. So, uh, it, it just, for me, it's, it's too much. Well, you see, you're, you're, you're right where I am. I mean, I, I feel terrible because like I go on these interviews and, and stuff that, uh, that gets set up and I'm, I'm not an interview guy, uh, because I don't, not because I don't like to talk. I'll sit here and bullshit with you all day. But I don't like to be yeah. interviewed because of the fact that, like, you know, who the hell am I? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm yeah. a guy in my basement right now, you know, talking on a computer, and that's all I am. Sure, I could talk about my years of wrestling, but I was an independent guy. Most people don't know who the hell I am. My musical career, sure, okay. Uh, if you didn't live in Denver from, you know, up until 2007 or live in Philly before 2000, you don't know who the hell I am musically. You know, and even then... Right. You had to be in the scene to fucking know who the hell I am. So, I mean, who wants to talk to me, you know? So it's very weird because people who do know that I'm a, a professional wrestler or former professional wrestler, that's the first thing I want to talk about is wrestling. And I always feel bad because of the fact that it's like, well, I don't watch it anymore. You yeah. Know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I you know what? It's still good it. to sit there and shoot the shit, even about the, like the uh, the late '90s and and the good runs yeah. that they had there, and and the Monday Night Wars and the NWO and the DXs and the Austins and the Rocks and you know the the stuff that 
we kind of grew up watching and kind of grew up uh, being entertained by compared to what is on TV today. Oh, yeah. I still got DVDs uh, that I've collected over the years. I could put them in and watch, you know, like yeah. Wrestling with Shadows with uh, with Bret Hart or the Owen Hart story yeah. or, you know, In Your House, Philadelphia or, you know, from 96 or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, what, what have you. I'll watch that shit all day. But as far as the yeah. new stuff. Uh, I have you actually watched on HBO? They have a documentary called uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Have you checked that out? I've seen it on YouTube. Uh, I've seen the rebroadcasts yeah. on YouTube. I watched the uh, Owen Hart one and I watched what was the other one? I watched the uh, uh, Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Eddie Guerrero. Story. And there's a Chris or Benoit Chris one. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then they have like Gino Hernandez and and a couple of them, Dino Bravo. Even the episodes were actually excellent and really, really well done. A uh, lot of information out there that you know people wouldn't generally know of some of the stories that had happened out there. I don't, we don't know how much is fact and how much is put together, but I mean HBO is not going to you know sugarcoat things for, I guess, lack of a better term of faking the whole episode just to get the ratings. Uh, I think that. It was generally most of the information that was there. So I think it was pretty cool. Well, there's always been a stigma to wrestling. I mean, like you mentioned, Dano Bravo, uh, for an example. I mean, for the most most part, most people know that it was mob hit that killed him. You know, and, yeah. and you know, that was back in the day when wrestling had ties with the mafia, you know. Yeah. Um, and so and, I, and they go into that in that episode. They say it's a mob hit and they, you know, they say who is probably uh who who it was that probably did it and so i mean they go into a lot of detail about the personal background stories i know even with owen hart his i think his wife didn't want some of the information released so i don't think they had clearance to to say certain things or show certain things uh, on that episode but uh, i think pretty much the the whole series was really well done i think they're in season two or season three is coming up and they have a lot they have a lot of good episodes so well, if I anybody gotta- is listening go check it out i think it was really well done I think I got to dig deeper into it because you're, you're right. It, it was really well done. And especially the Owen Hart one, like I found myself bawling again because of it. And I think, I think yeah. the, uh, with Owen's wife, I think it's because of the fact that she still truly believes it's foul play. Yeah. She, she probably didn't like the fact that the, the conclusion is still, it was just an accidental death or, or neglect yeah. of, of equipment on the, uh, the, the, the people that were supposed to do the riggings part not WWE. She thinks no, you know what I mean? So I I think, I think that's probably what she's most upset about is that it's still being portrayed as, well, this was just a glitch. Yeah. I mean, um, I have, but even with the Chris Benoit episode, you know, you, you, you look at that episode and you say, man, like, the, the doctors would say that this guy's brain was mush. It was like the, the brain of like a three-year-old when they took it out of him uh, mm-hmm. or they opened him up just because of the amount of chair shots or the amount of uh, hits to the head that he took during his wrestling career doing, I, I guess, especially with the diving headbutt that he would always connect with that on some part of the body. His head was still getting trauma on it. Right. And I guess that, uh, you know, had, his, uh, had an effect on the brain. We don't know what else he was actually going through at the time. I think Chris Jericho actually narrates that episode as well. And he was friends with Chris Benoit Mm -hmm. and, you know, and there's just things that we don't know uh, that happened with you when you were in it. Did you feel like, did you ever have a chair shot to the head or, 
anything, okay. <laughs> anything like that. Like, what what effect do you feel like that had on you? Like concussions and well, I, I, what I happened with that with you? I had a couple yeah. concussions, and I would argue the point that there are some times that I may have like uh, memory lapses, not severe, just you know, like uh, say short term, like it's going to sound like Alzheimer's for a minute, but like walking into a kitchen and forgetting what I went in there for type, type, uh, memory losses, but you know, nothing, nothing too cognitive. My, my damage has been more physical ever since I retired. I started feeling some of the damages I did to my knees and my back, you know, and stuff like that, that, uh, now it's like, now I've reached that point where it's like, I can't do that shit no more. You know what I mean? I always joke. I got one more run in me, one more match in me. I don't know if I do, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough that I didn't do as much cerebral damage as some wrestlers go through. I mean, I've taken chair shots and I've taken DDTs or whatever where I wasn't protected. Right. And, you know, it'll, it'll ring your bell and leave you forgetting uh, what week, what day it is that week for a couple of days, you know, but nothing that so far knock wood has been long lasting. Um, hasn't fucked with my motor skills or anything. And part of, part of the decision to retire, uh, in 2012 that I did is I didn't want to wind up walking like Mick Foley. Like, you know, I was still in my thirties at the time, you know, and all. And I just, I did not want to, you know, wind up at the end of the day being in my fifties in a wheelchair. You know what I mean? Right. Especially cause I, in 2012, I still had really young kids that you know they're still young but they're not as young anymore but uh i had really young kids and i didn't want to have to be that guy that can't pick up his daughter you know what i mean so that was kind of the the end all decision for me to finally say you know what it's time to give up yeah (laughs) yeah yeah And, and what was your favorite match of yours uh the match i can't remember no um I had a match in Colorado for the interregional title match, uh, or interregional title, which was kind of their intercontinental or U.S. title uh, for Rocky Mountain Championship Wrestling. And it was aptly titled the uh, Harvest of Destruction match because it took place around Halloween. And what this was was basically a Falls Count Anywhere Four Corners of Death match um, where we had, you know, we had barbed wire, we had stop signs, we had, you know, all, all all the trimmings, you know. And uh, I was taking on a guy named Shama Tango. And we had been going through a feud for the past year where I would get this close to taking the belt from him and he fucked me over and, you know, whatever. And then I had to work my way up the rank again. And the, 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 the two weeks before the match, I had to do a, ta- a triple threat tables match for number one contendership. And, you know, I wound up winning. So here's my shot. It's my final shot. This is the final time. If I can't get it now, then I lose the opportunity to ever go after it again. And, you know, I wind up winning the match that night. But Shama and I, we were very close friends. Like, understand, we worked together for the last year doing this storyline and this feud that it was the type of uh, friendship where we no longer pulled punches. Like, I, I you know, people, people know we choreograph shit we know we pull our punches and all uh but sham and i became so close friends that like we would give face-offs to each other and the crowd would get so electrified that we would just be like you want to do it they'd be like fuck it throw it and next thing you know we're we're throwing real fists and we're, we're going ham on each other you know contacting everything and then 
the following day we'd meet up in the bar and bitch about what we did to each other. You know what I mean? Like we had that kind of friendship. So when it came to harvest, we went all out and it became literally the bloodiest at the time, the bloodiest match in Colorado wrestling history oh, uh, wow. to the point that when the show was over, the staff made Shama and I mop up. They wouldn't do oh. it. It looked like a murder scene, you know? Wow. And so I'm very, very proud of that match, even though I don't remember half of it because we beat the shit out of each other that night. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 pretty interesting. I mean, I, I think if I was working the crew, I would actually make you guys clean it up, too. I don't think I'd want to do that either. <laughs> well, it was funny. You know, you're, you're sitting there, you're, you're getting taped up and stuff like that, you know, making sure you don't need stitches getting checked out by the EMTs and shit. And somebody's handing you a mop. Like I ain't touching that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> that's probably one of my most favorites. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, so let's go a little bit back to uh, your podcast that you're doing sure. um, and just talk to uh, people out there that are listening. I know it's not live right now, but uh when they do listen to this episode, what they can expect from your podcast, uh, maybe one of your favorite episodes that you've done on your podcast, maybe one of your favorite guests that you've had on, um, just so that they may be uh, interested in going and checking out your podcast. Well, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the, the, the new one, uh, the new version, the uh, BT4, BT4W weekly show, which is Breaking the Fourth Walls weekly show, uh, the, this new episode, which we aptly titled Petting the Moist Snails. Um, listen to the show, you'll understand <laughs> why we titled that. But uh, that was probably one of one of the funnest shows that I've done in quite a while. And it was because of the panel, because we, we all created segments for the show that will be regular segments into the show besides the interview portion of it, which, you know, like we're doing now, I would record make it a segment, but it would get put aside until we record the show. And then I would put it in, in its proper spot. Um, we sat around the round table. One of the first segments we did, we did, uh, uh, was, uh, was Don Smith of the life radio who, uh, is now a panelist for breaking the fourth wall as well. And his, his segment is, uh, uh, the news buffet. It may not be worth a shit, but there's a lot of it. And what it is is just crazy news from around the world. And the way he presented it and some of the stories he brought us, like uh, like a woman believing that she's found the cure for COVID because she drinks smoothies with men's semen in it. Oh, <laughs> dear God. Oh, yeah. And these are legitimate stories. <laughs> these aren't like, you know, just things we made up for jokes. And I mean, yeah. it was absolutely hilarious. You know, you guys, you guys definitely got to check out the new Breaking the Fourth Wall. It's going to be releasing every every Tuesday. And of course, Breaking the Fourth Wall interviews are going to be happening as they happen. Like, uh, you know, we're going to be doing one together and, and stuff like that for that as well. So you can always find those. I think some of my favorite uh, interviews, I, I God, oh, now you're going to make me think because um, there's been a couple of them that I absolutely loved. Uh I think one of my favorites, God, what was the name of their show? Oh God. Give me, give me, give me a minute of the brain, the brainstorm this. I got to remember the name uh, of the, the podcast that I interviewed and it was the whole group. And uh, while I was interviewing them, 
literally they took over my show and started interviewing me. <laughs> and it was absolutely it was absolutely chaos. About a half hour into the uh, the uh, interview uh, is when I was like, "Wait a minute, this is my show," you know? What I mean? Yeah. And uh, it was it was uh, the the guys from Credence and Bishop's show. Go check them out; they're absolutely hilarious. You know, they they that was an absolute fun interview. And go check out their podcast; they were great. Uh, probably one of my all time favorite episodes I ever did, though. Uh, and I've told this story numerous times, so anybody who's ever heard me talk about it before, you're, you're probably going to be bored for a minute, but, uh, was, uh, when we used to do the, the pa- panel round table, uh, breaking the fourth wall on radio cast FM, uh, we used to have to censor our shit for the show because they radio cast FM tried to keep it radio friendly. And, uh, one particular time we were, I believe we were uh, reviewing Ghostbusters 2016. So you can pretty much guess how that how that goes. <laughs> and uh, so I had to do a lot of editing, bleeping and stuff because it was just hot garbage. And uh, I sent the, 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 the show off the radio cast to be aired and they didn't check my work and just put it out there. Some Karen got mad because one word did not get bleeped out. The word was twat for anybody who wants to know. And I was forced to give a public apology on Radio Cast FM for offending this one woman. And wow. so after I got humiliated like that, I wound up going on Skype with a bunch of the people from, from the panel. And we were having a meeting discussing on, on whether we wanted to continue our association with Radio Cast or just break off on our own and, and do our own thing. It wound up us deciding to record the, the the long story short is we wound up recording the the meeting and looking up the first off the George Carlin seven words you can't say on television, which led into uh, looking up the SEC's rules of things that can't be said over airways. And I believe at the time it was 46 words. And then we spent an hour to an hour and a half uh, coming up with shit that wasn't on that list that we could use, like, you know purple-headed yogurt slinger um, you know and, and uh basically i got dared by one of the panelists uh later on he's like what are you gonna do with that i said nothing i said i'm just gonna leave it here he's like you you should, you should relieve it release it i said no nah, dude fucking piss everybody off on the planet he's like you don't have the balls to release it i said oh yeah I said, i'll release it and since it wasn't an official show i'll call it after hours wouldn't you know i released it i i released it called after hours Fuck the FCC. And when you know that was one of our hottest shows. <laughs> I fucking love it. I don't doubt it. Yeah. I don't so doubt it. That was probably one of my favorites just because it was so impromptu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it, it sucks that you have to be careful of what you say because, you know, your, your fan base may be looking at it and saying, you know, I love the way that these guys are so unscripted. I love the way that they just speak their mind. And then it's that one person. That's going to get offended and that's going to take your whole podcast and almost shut it down because you're not allowed to say this. And especially if you belong to a community or a network or whatever it is, that one person is the one that's going to be able to ruin it for you. And that that just kind of sucks. Right. You know, and that that that's where we were. I mean, like I was friends with the owner of Radiocast. I still am, uh, even though Radiocast yeah. is no longer around, you know. So like I never I was never upset at him. I was upset at being put in that position because one person couldn't handle one word. Right. It's like yeah. if listen if you listen to the episode, 
there was so many curses that were bleeped out. Most people who listened to that episode have been like, even if they even caught twat, would have been like, okay, he missed one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, at worst, it's like, I see how much he edited. I get it. I can forgive this. No, yeah. this and, and somebody took the time to actually write in or call in to the network mm-hmm. and say, you know, I'm so offended by this one word. Yeah. It's just a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I know. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think that was one of my favorite episodes of all time was is, is still fuck the FCC. So <laughs> Yeah. I, I'm definitely gonna have to check that one out for sure. I'll yeah. send you the link. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, send me the link and I'll check that episode out because it's uh it sounds really funny and it sounds like something that I would actually like listen to. And let me get even with you. How about you? Out of, out of the uh, shows that you've done, you got a favorite? Uh, you know, we 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 worked on this uh, project that we started uh, with a couple other uh, people, and we we called it the uh, podcast convention. And we did a virtual convention where we ran podcasts straight for twenty four hours live, and we we all ran it through uh, Streamyard, and we did the whole. Uh, 45 minutes you got as a slot and the three admins, we, we ran it together and we had a blast and it was 24 hours. And I stayed up the entire time to monitor them, even though the other admins, like they had their set hours that they were supposed to, so we can get some rest. But I was like, you know what? This is too cool. This is, this is really interesting uh, that we had like different podcasts on from around the world. Like you had from UK, from the U S from Canada. Um, I, I don't remember where the other ones were from, but it was just so cool that we were able to set this up and we had it 24 straight hours. The next one that we run, we're trying to aim for a 48 hour one uh, where we can just run 48 hours straight of podcast. You're allowed to swear on it. Uh, it just streams straight to our Facebook group. And then from there you can share it to YouTube or to, uh, Instagram, like wherever you share your, your, your stuff to. Uh, but it, it was just so it was just a different concept than what we've been doing lately. We haven't really done too many live shows. So that right. was really cool. I got my wife to come on with me uh, and we played a uh, husband and wife newlywed game, even though we're not newlyweds, uh, just yeah. to see how much we know about each other. And we got good feedback from it. Like a lot of people really enjoyed the episode and said, you know, we we should all get together and play that game on a, a recorded episode together and and see how that goes. So I think that was one of my favorite episodes. Right on. Well, yeah. if you decide to do that 48-hour one, let Breaking the Fourth Wall know. I'm pretty sure we can come in and uh, screw shit up for a couple hours yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, it's it, it's like we just created this group. We, we came up with the concept because I had started what I called the podcast roundtable. So I was interviewing other podcasts, and I would have five or six on at a time. Right. And we would just shoot the shit about podcasting because we were all pretty new to the game. And I was just like, you know, what are your – what, what are things that have hampered your start to podcasting and why did you get into it and why, why the name and, you know, just a whole bunch of questions. And then somebody took it a step further and said, Hey, why don't we do this? And I said, fantastic idea. If we can get it off the ground, let's run with it. So we did. And it was very successful. We thought we were going to run into a whole bunch of problems and it, it was very minimal, the problems that we ran into. Uh, but we were able to like fix those on the fly and, and get the, the show running for a complete 24 hours. So it was, it was fantastic. We had live panels on the show as well. So we would invite different podcast hosts and we'd talk about how to market your podcast and women in podcasting. And it, it was just, it was so much fun. So we enjoyed doing that. I mean, I slept for the next two days seeing I was up for the, the, the that many hours, but it, it was a lot of fun. Right on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 
you know, again, I keep forgetting this isn't my interview, but I, it kind of is. I guess I guess what we're going to wind up doing here is uh, uh, taking this interview and just broadcasting it both as breaking the fourth wall and, and uh, pod yeah. jerky. It seems like that's yeah, going to Why not? So uh, I, I guess I'll start this off then. Why don't you tell uh, the listeners where they could find uh, for, for the Breaking the Fourth Wall show, tell them where they could find your product. So ours are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We're on all the major platforms at Pod Jerky, Instagram, Twitter at Pod Jerky as well. You can find our link tree. It's actually tap.bio forward slash at Pod Jerky. It'll give you all of our links. So it'll take you to YouTube. It'll take you to our web page, which we also have as well. Uh, it's not an official, uh, I guess, uh, web page. It's uh, podjerky.wixsite.com forward slash podjerky. And you can find a whole bunch of stuff there. We have a, bu- a bunch of blogs. Uh, some of our episodes are on there. We have some videos on there. Um, some of the stories that we've uh, actually covered on some of our episodes. So uh, those are pretty much all of our social media handles that you can find us on. We're pretty interactive with everybody who reaches out to us and tries to talk to us. Uh, we do get back to you pretty quickly. Uh, we are going back to work September 1st uh, as the schools are reopening. Uh, yes. So if anybody does get back to us, then if we don't answer, that's where we are. And we will answer when we get home. Uh, <laughs> but we are actually very, very, very active uh, where we do respond to everybody. All right. And for your listeners, uh, if you're interested in breaking the fourth wall or any of the subsequent shows from Realm of the Mist Entertainment, just look up Realm of the Mist Entertainment on YouTube or on Anchor, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, wherever quality podcasts can be heard. Of course, look up uh, Breaking the Fourth Wall or Realm of the Mist on any of the social medias and uh, realmofthemist.com for any future info. <laughs> and, of course, I'm going to say I'm going to say to you, before I let, let you do your outro for your show, uh, I'm just going to say to you that I promise I will give you a proper interview, but this one's definitely going to be a uh, uh, conversation interview on, on Breaking the Fourth Wall later on. So, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I, thanks for coming on. I mean, I, I like these interviews better where I don't have to script anything. It's more of a, just a sit down, shoot the shit, you know, mm-hmm. talk about stories stuff like that. I don't really care for some of the scripted stuff. Some of them you have to do because you just don't know enough about the guests that you're having on or the subject that you're talking about. Right. But, you know, these are these are more up my alley where I'm actually able to be myself and not sound so robotic and be able to just have a normal conversation. So I thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we appreciate it very much. Uh, absolutely. I appreciate being here. And uh, if I may just offer, I mean, that's the way I kind of do interviews anyways. I always come up with like one or two, I don't want to say generic questions, but a, a conversation starters. And then from there, I let the conversation dictate the questions. Uh, it's the easiest way to get to know the person. I do. I mean, I do my research when I can do my research. But like you said, sometimes you get people you just can't research. Like, how do I research a sixth grade teacher? You know, you can't. Right. You know, so let the let the conversation dictate. I always found that's a better way to do it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. But if you're doing stuff on music or movies or stuff like that, there's stuff that you have to have sitting in front of you where, you know, you got to take a quote from here or, you know, a certain scene from here or a certain music clip from here. And, and you just have to know that. And, and I work better off just this, just doing normal conversation. Uh, I can carry a conversation all day long if if, if need be. But 
with the scripted stuff. I, you know, you can tell I'm scripted when I'm scripted. My wife even said like, Hey, you know, that episode sounded really scripted. I'm like, because it was, you know, we had to get some information out that we couldn't describe just in our own words. It had to be put this way. So those scripted ones, I I don't really like. So I like to go with what, what we normally do is just a sit down, shoot the shit and, and go from there. Look, the, the only reason your wife is pointing it out to you is because she's tired of holding up the cue cards. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, it, it's funny because like I've, I've talked about this on other episodes as well. But when I started this podcast, my wife had said, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, why do you have a microphone? Like, what are you what are you planning? I said, I'm going to do a podcast. And she said, what? You know, and at first it wasn't kind of a thing that she was kind of into. And man, has she gotten way into it now because now she likes to be on the episode. She actually enjoys it. She bought me this light for the camera so that um, I, I don't look so orange in in doing video calls now because I used to look orange because I'm in the basement with pot lights. And uh, she bought me this whole five foot uh, light stand. And, you know, so it, it's it's grown pretty well uh, over the last four, four and a half months. And we're getting out there and she's enjoying every minute of it. So when she does have a chance, she loves to come on. She loves to chat. She loves to just shoot the shit. And, and it's fantastic. So that's, that's the cool part about it. I get to do it with my wife as well. So. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I'll extend the offer right now. Uh, uh, sometime in the near future, we'll get you and your wife to be guest panelists on the weekly show. So that way you can sit down and, and join the conversation and maybe laugh at some of the goofy shit that we do besides the interviews. So hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. I'm, I'm, my wife will be down for it. It's not, it's not a problem as long as it's, Hey guys, it's Chris from Realm of the Mist Entertainment. If you enjoyed this video, please hit that thumbs up button. Like, share, comment, subscribe. Check out all the other great podcasts that can be found on Realm of the Mist Entertainment's YouTube channel or our sister channel, Sounds Dicey Gaming, for all your tabletop needs. And if you prefer your podcasts in audio-only format, check out Realm of the Mist Entertainment on Anchor.fm, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever quality podcasts can be heard. To our Patreon supporters, we thank you very, very much. And if you're interested in being a Patreon supporter, please go over to patreon.com slash realm of the mist and just a dollar a month gives you exclusive content and helps our channel out greatly. Guys, again, thank you very much for joining us and we will see you on the next episode.